across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's another beautiful day in the neighbourhood as we prepare for another busy day inside the fastest growing radio station on the planet. There is much to do. It's only 10am and we've already had another incident of window smashing by the Extinction Rebellion planks at Canary Wharf. Apparently, this on the same day that a bunch of overprivileged millionaires have written a letter to the Times urging everyone to save the planet. Guess what? It's Earth Day, apparently. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden is hosting a virtual climate summit from behind his desk in the White House, where every world leader will be virtue signalling their way into oblivion. I'd like to ask you to do your bit for Earth Day by burning some coal, driving around in a diesel-powered vehicle, uh, eating a burger or two, and maybe turning up the heating, just because you can. It's time we sent a message to these politicians that life is about freedom of choice. It's not about being forced to comply with some dodgy science dreamed up by a bloke in a polo neck who lives in the Antarctic. Thank you very much indeed. First up today, we're talking to Baroness Fox of Buckley, who's got plenty to say about the world in which we live and why it's so important that the rules around COVID and care homes are sorted out and soon. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll also be checking in with our favourite travel guru, Simon Calder, with the news that the Mediterranean holiday destinations we all love so much will be welcoming us with open arms soon, thanks to the success of our vaccine programme. And Mr Loophole, a.k.a. Nick Freeman, the lawyer, will be telling us why he's getting worked up about this country's play of potholes. 0344 Helen Dale is here as well to, with her take on the Richard Dawkins situation where he was apparently stripped of a humanist award for having the wrong opinion on the trans debate. That's right. You're only allowed to think one way now, otherwise you get into terrible trouble. We'll also be finding out what's happening to Ronald Reagan's statue with Andrew Rossendale MP, what's happening in America with LaDonna Harvey, and because it's Thursday, uh, Helena Nicklin is here, uh, award-winning wine writer, because she's got a selection of fizz from around Europe, and we'll be judging who does it best in the Thursday club. Is it Prosecco? Is it Carver? Is it English sparkling wine? I think I know the answer. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, it might come as no surprise to you whatsoever that apparently today is World Earth Day, uh, which is when we're all supposed to sit around and think about the climate because nobody's paying attention to it. I mean, it's all we ever hear about. The idea that somehow nobody's talking about climate change is an absolute and utter uh, pyramid of piffle, as uh, Boris Johnson would call it. Let's go down now live to Canary Wharf because this morning, this very day, Earth Day, Extinction Rebellion have been out in force and they've decided it'd be a great idea to smash up a few windows down there in a banking organisation. Ricky Freelove is there for Talk Radio. Ricky, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. So what have you found down there? What's going on on Earth Day? Well, it turns out that Extinction Rebellion sent nine of their finest protesters down here at 7am this morning to HSBC's headquarters. And they're claiming that HSBC have funded £81 billion into fossil fuel uh, industries. So they made their way this morning and, as you rightly said, started smashing windows. I counted 15 panes of windows smashed this morning. Uh, They claim that it's better broken windows rather than broken promises, Uh, a, a reference to the suffragettes, I believe. And it is very amusing when you actually watch dear, this, oh this footage now that you, they are so, trying so hard to like themselves to the suffragettes. You see, once they've finished 
smashing windows with hammers and chisels. They sit down rather piously, putting the hammer and chisel in front of them like it's something out of The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> well, as if they've somehow made some incredible sacrifice, uh, put their lives in danger uh, by throwing themselves under the, 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 the hooves of, of racehorses or chained themselves somehow to a, to a fence and starved themselves for days on end. No, no, they've just got up a little bit earlier than they normally do uh, and they've brought some tools with them. Uh, and, and I don't mean the actual uh, fellow Extinction Rebellion supporters. Uh, and they've broken a few windows. I mean, do they know how glass is made? Well, it appears not. Now, one of the facility managers that I uh, spoke with this morning, who wasn't too keen on me being around and then realised that I, I didn't look like a, a vegan that hasn't washed for a, a few weeks, uh, he, he became a bit pally with me. He said, do you know how much it costs in terms of carbon to put one of these windows together? He said, it's two tons of pain a window. Now, if you can see behind me, they're about 10 feet long and, and five foot high in diameter. They smashed 15 of them. And, I mean, unfortunately for Extinction Rebellion, it looks like they, they kind of missed a few. If I just pan up a bit, there's, there's quite a few more that they, they missed. So they didn't do too much of a good job. But as you can see now, uh, the security is out and the, the cleaners are out as well. So a, a couple of dustpanning brushes yeah. going around. I don't know how far that'll go, but they're having a good go at it. I mean, I've got more respect for sort of people like Greenpeace who scale the shard and stuff and actually climb up buildings and do something which is quite sort of dangerous. These bozos have literally now got to go to prep, presumably, for their egg mayonnaise sandwich. Well, maybe they can't eat eggs because they're vegans, but, you know, whatever you can eat if you're a vegan. A sandwich with nothing in it, maybe. Um, you know, that, that'll be their day done, right? None of them have got a job. Well, I, I saw there's a waitress just opposite uh, HSBC's headquarters. They've probably got some quinoa and hummus on the way out. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's nothing like a bit of quinoa and hummus to kick off a Thursday in the sunshine in Canary Wharf. But I'll tell you what, let me ask you another question about Canary Wharf, Ricky, because that used to be a place of work for me. It used to be a bustling metropolis all of its own. 80 or 90,000 people working there. What's it like at the moment? It is incredibly quiet. Now, you can probably hear a few buses and a, a few motorbikes, probably deliveries, if anything. Uh, but it's incredibly quiet here on the streets. That's the one thing when I came out of the station, expecting the usual hustle bustle of financiers doing their normal day-to-day -day work. It's very, very quiet. If I just pan behind me, there is absolutely no one on the streets. As you said, this used to be a thriving area. It's absolutely dead this morning. It's probably another reason why Extinction Rebellion managed to get away with it at 7 a.m., because no one's around. Yeah. Also, I, I can't help but think, Mike, I think lockdown boredom has probably got to the middle classes. My God. What, you mean working from home is not satisfying them anymore? Getting on the old Apple uh, MacBook is not sort of satisfying their need for uh, for helping the environment. I mean, Earth Day. I'm not even sure what we're meant to be doing on Earth Day. I'll make sure you get the boat back, by the way, to the office, because that burns an awful lot of diesel, that boat. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll do that. It'll be a nice treat. <laughs> Top man. Very good indeed. Ricky Freelove reporting live uh, from Canary Wharf, the seat uh, of Extinction Rebellion's protest. I mean, what is the problem with these people? What is the point of it all? And don't they realise, as I say, that glass is produced uh, in a very high-tech way with an awful lot of power, an awful lot of electricity uh, and rather, uh, shall we say, unenvironmentally friendly products? But let us now talk to somebody who has got full uh, common sense and knowledge of many things indeed. She is, of course, Baroness Fox of Buckley, uh, non-affiliated peer and director of the Institute of Ideas, formerly known as Claire Fox. Claire, a very good morning to you. Yeah, formerly and still. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you brought me in on Extinction Rebellion. Uh, I've got plenty to say on that. Well, so, well, uh, you've got plenty of time to say it, so go for yeah, it. Well, the main thing I just thought was, this isn't a protest, is it? Uh, I've just tweeted, it's a bit like sort of performative uh, criminal damage for the cameras. Yeah. And the fact there's only nine people there, one of the things that really is distressing is that there's so much buy-in on the eco issue from the media, 
from most of the media that they're lapping it up. And, you know, it seems obvious to me that this is all about getting your story on the telly rather than actually making any kind of a, a political position known. And, you know, they, they're, they're out there with their chisels and their hammers and things. This is a time when we need to be rebuilding the economy. As you noted yourself, Mike, Canary Wharf is deserted of workers. And the idea that they're kind of mocking working people with a hammer and chisel to be so destructive is irritating to say the least. And in India, where COVID is really ripping through society, let me tell you what they need at the moment are fossil fuels to help build that society so that they've got ventilators, so mm. that they've got hospitals, so that they've got modern transport systems. Right. Fossil fuels are lifesavers. I just thought I'd uh, share with you because I've just been reading it, which is why I'm so agitated. Mm. Something that the Academy of Ideas brought out actually. Greens, the new neo-colonialists, a little pamphlet, our letters in liberty. And that's what they are. They're neo-colonialists. Mm. They want everything to be as quiet as Canary Wolf. No, the earth matters far more than the yeah. people who live in the earth. Well, this is it. I mean, this is why when I watch Channel 4 News just to get annoyed, uh, at the end of which they go, oh, look at the sky. Isn't it lovely? Look, there's no planes in it and it's all blue and there's no clouds. There's no pollution. And it's like, well, that's fine. But unfortunately, people are dying as a result of not having any work to do dying because they're killing themselves because they've got no job to look forward to and no work worthwhile uh, endeavour to actually do in, in, in any given situation. And also, by the way, the thing that really gets to me is this new kind of green conversation that people have where people use words like, well, we must eat less meat, we must eat less cheese, you know, we must travel less or we must travel by bicycle. You know, I was saying this to Peter Hitchens on Monday. We elect our politicians to work for us. I don't know when it happened that they suddenly decided they could tell us how we should be living. Well, I think, unfortunately, this year of lockdown has not helped because I think the state has rather enjoyed having the power. And you could say it's an argument whether in an emergency they were right to say, we will decide what's best for you. It's a public health emergency. You know, that's a, a dispute that will run and run. But I think they've rather enjoyed the idea that they are now able to override any individual decision making about lifestyle choices at all and we can see in the build-up to cop 26 which by the way in the lords is discussed so frequently it's, the, it's probably the main thing that's talked about in the house of lords right. is cop 26 and eco issues and they're basically saying we've decided that actually we need to do this for zero carbon. So uh, they've actually been discussing, haven't they? Making us have less heating in our homes. Yes. How can we ensure that they don't turn the heating on? I mean, my dad used to do that when we were poor, when we were growing <laughs> up. And he used to follow him around and say, turn the lights off and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. I, used was to go, I, I was the same. My dad was Scottish, right? Didn't believe in central heating. Uh, well, no, I, exactly. didn't, I, didn't find exactly. out, I didn't find out until later on. It was just because he was tight and he didn't want to spend yeah. any money on it. So we used to have those little dimplex radiators, right? In these big yeah. rooms. I used to go to bed with a hat on in the winter. Yeah, well, this is this is like your dad and my dad combined <laughs> running the government. And they're basically going to do this. And, but the thing is, rather than it saving money, at least your dad and my dad might have had a point, which is we haven't got that much money to mm. turn the lights off. Yeah. This is the government saying you'll have less heat and it'll cost you more. 
I mean, it I really mean, is quite well, extraordinary. And also, I mean, I mean, I don't remember Boris Johnson ever asking the public whether or not this was something that they wanted. I mean, people will say, oh, well, it was in the, the, the Conservative Manifesto. You know, nobody reads those things, right? He never, he never kind of campaigned on the fact that he was going to turn Britain into some kind of ridiculously green place where nobody drove around uh, in a car that was powered by diesel or petrol and everybody cycled everywhere. No, well, exactly. I mean, but look at what's happened with these uh, low traffic neighbourhoods, which is a, a, a genuine scandal, by yeah. the way, which is that councils have taken the opportunity of the lockdown to basically say, oh, we're going to wage a war on car and cars. And if you listen to the government ministers, they've actually said, oh, we should take the opportunity to change behaviour because people are walking and cycling more because yeah. of the lockdown, basically because we were banned from driving anywhere. There was nowhere to drive to. Mm. And then they said, well, you should take the opportunity of in changing the habits of how people travel. And they've changed the habits by basically blocking off roads so you can't drive down right. them. And this is, I mean, apart from the fact that for local people, they were never consulted. In Hackney, the last time there was a consultation, the council lost. There's a massive uh, campaign in Hackney now uh, against these uh, low traffic neighbourhoods. Yeah. And the council has tried to say, oh, it's gas guzzling elitists who've got cars. Actually, the majority of them are women, yeah. ordinary working people who need their cars as care workers, for example, to get to work, yeah. to drive around and see. Well, people it's the same as the same as the congestion charge, isn't it? You know, they're trying to put it up because they think that they're, they're stopping Lord Sugar from driving in and out of the congestion yeah. zone in his Rolls Royce. No, they're stopping people with white vans who need their van to do the job that they need to do to go from point A to point B. Because guess what? They can't work from home with an Apple Mac. Yeah, exactly. This, this, of course, is not something that many people in the council seem to have noticed. But I think you're absolutely right. Across the political spectrum, every single party is behaving as though the only and main priority coming out of the terrible lockdown period that we've had over the last year is, you know, is the green issue, yeah. you know, is to ensure that we are zero carbon. And I, I the thing is, none of us, nobody, um, uh, is... Uh, uh, glib about things that will happen in relation to climate change as far as i'm concerned there are issues yeah. but you can mitigate those issues what we need to do is to use the full weight of modern technology and human ingenuity to stop the negative sides but the main thing is is that fossil fuels have fueled the modern world in which it means that unlike some places around the world which is why that pamphlet on eco-colonialism is so important we have the luxury that comes with having used fossil fuels. And the luxury just means that we're not freezing, that we're actually living in conditions that are tolerable because we've overcome the barriers that nature throws yeah. up. Well, we've also we've also got uh, hospitals which are powered by electricity, which exactly. are also air conditioned by electricity, which has supposedly kept them safer uh, from more people dying from COVID. We've, you know, no matter how many times you and I drive around uh, London on a penny farthing, Claire, uh, it's not going to really put much of a dent into the all coal coal powered fire stations they're building in China on a weekly basis, is it? No, but but also just on mitigation. I mean, there are safe fuel sources such as nuclear power. Mm. Guess what? The government aren't doing enough investment in nuclear power. You know, so every time you have a situation that could solve a problem, you know, the, the environmentalists get in the way. The government lack the ambition, it seems to me. So all we hear is alternative power sources that just will not be enough as you say, to give us what we need in the modern world. And what we need in the modern world is not 
the luxury of a car because that's necessary. But as you say, it's also hospitals. I mean, we've been, uh, lots of people have been clapping for the NHS. Can you imagine how much fuel you need in a hospital fully equipped? All of the things that we now associate with life-saving. That requires modern fuel development and often fossil fuels. And that's why we've got to be so cynical about these nine women who, by the way, it's an insult to the suffragettes to imagine that they're in any way. These are anti the masses. They don't believe that ordinary people can be trusted. So they never do it democratically. Um, Whereas the suffragettes wanted the mass of women to have the vote. Well, I think the greatest kind of um, expose of what the Extinction Rebellion movement was all about and how wrong it was, was that scene in Canning Town uh, when ordinary working people, many of them who had come here from the European Union, many of whom had come here from Eastern Europe, were all waiting to get on a train to go to work because they needed to go to work. And these bozos were on the top of the train and they got dragged off the train. And as much as I would not in in any way promote any kind of violence, they got given a good shooing. Uh, because they had nothing better to do. And, you know, London is a working city. You know, unfortunately, these people who don't work and who don't need to work because they don't they don't need the money um, would like it to stay as a non-working city and like it to be empty for the rest of time. Well, that's it. They've, they've actually seen the advantages of the fact that we've been locked down as though somehow if you don't have economic development and growth, you can't have all of the things which we benefit from economic. I mean, where they think the money's coming from, as they say. Uh, The other thing, though, the one thing I am wary of, and I understand the instinct, which is to say, you know, arrest these people and so on. Mm. I have disagreed, however, with this new protest bill, which the government are pushing through. We use that contempt that many people, ordinary people have for Extinction Rebellion style tactics, which I have every sympathy with them on that. And the Canning Town example is one well made. Mm. But I don't think we need new legislation in order to uh, police these so-called protests. What we need is the police force to enforce the law in relation to the protests. Right. Because there's like, like many of these new laws they want to try and bring in. We've already got a law that covers it. Exactly. It's like they want more laws to make sure that women are safe. Well, we've already got laws against murder. We've already got laws against rape. We just have to be better at actually policing it. But, but, but it seems to me that if we haven't got a law that can handle the fact that somebody gets a chisel and a hammer and breaks a window, right, I would have thought that that would be something you could be arrested for. Yes. Right? You know, that's it. You don't need a new law that's then going to mean that, you you know, some draconian thing which is going to actually affect all of our right to protest. Yeah, so absolutely. I don't mind protesting, but that's criminal damage. Now, I know that we haven't got a lot of time left, uh, Claire, and we wanted to talk about a lot of other things before these bozos did their little protest down at Canary Wall. Give us a quick mention uh, of the care home story that you've been doing uh, in the House of Lords and care home residents and the way those rules are being rolled out. Yeah, so this is really important, it seems to me, that the... Uh, guidance in relation to care homes at the moment continues to be, this is a a particularly draconian one, which is that if a resident leaves the care home, they have to go into 14 days isolation afterwards. So we have locked up the elderly and the vulnerable in care homes. Some of them, of course, are elderly and not vulnerable, but they're in care homes Mm. for one reason or another. They've been locked up, not allowed out at all, for the last 14 months for their own good. Now that they are doubly vaccinated in the most instances and the numbers and the data are completely down, if they go for a day trip to the sun to the seaside, they are locked into isolation effectively for 14 days. Mm. The, the reason why this makes no sense at all is 
the care home workers, obviously, perfectly reasonably, when they leave work, they go off, they might go sit outside a pub with their mates, go shopping, go to the hairdressers, and then they go back into work. And all they have to do is to have a test. Mm. So it can't be about stopping the um, uh, the virus, which is seems to be on the way in any way, getting into the care homes. Because, in other words, these uh, elderly people are basically being confined to barracks. I mean, treated as second-class citizens. They're not being allowed to vote, by the way, mm. in person either, which is, a, talk about the suffragettes, yeah, right. an absolute democratic affront. But, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, we are all talking about sleaze and scandals. I think the biggest scandal is what's happening with the care homes. Yeah. Meanwhile, relatives groups like uh, John's campaign, the Rights for Residents group, the Care Unlocked groups, or the, the grassroots people are the only people making a fuss. Government ministers say, oh, no, we have to do this because don't you realise we're protecting the elderly in care homes? Mm. My God, it's barbaric. Uh, relatives, sorry, the, the only other thing is, is that relatives are being deprived, I mean, they were told, oh, you'll be allowed to visit your families now. What seems to be happening is they're getting 20-minute or 30-minute weekly visits, supervised visits. It's like going to visit someone in prison. I know, it's awful. You only get half an hour. This is to see your loved ones. I mean, what sort of madness is it? And when I asked this to the minister in the House of Lords yesterday, he said, oh, well, the problem is that the, the, the care home workers wear PPE, whereas um, uh, uh, when they see these come into the care homes, whereas the, we couldn't put PPE on the residents. He actually said, we can't mandate the care home workers to do what they do when they leave the, the care homes, but we can stop the people who live in homes. Now, what's the consequence of this? If you have an elderly relative you are never going to let them go in a care home, are you? If you know that that is the consequence. Yeah. It's going to frighten so many elderly people from going in care homes. And we know that one of the things which is definitely killing elderly people in care homes is isolation, totally cut off from the rest of the world. And now they're deprived of the spring sunshine. Mm. I'm outraged by it yeah really. no, and and so you should be listen we're going to car carry on that uh, that particular campaign uh, we've spoken to some of those uh, uh, consumer groups as well and we'll keep doing it baroness claire fox brilliant to talk to you thank you so much uh, for many of those views that she explicit, explicitly explained to us there non-affiliated peer director of the institute of ideas claire fox uh, a brilliant woman uh, we'll be hearing a lot more from her uh, over the course of the coming weeks this is talk radio Mid-Morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Now, there's an awful lot to discuss this morning. Loads of things to talk about. Not least the Extinction Rebellion wallies over at Canary Wharf. But first, before we get stuck into all of that and a climate change letter that's been sent to the Times by lots of very, very wealthy people, let us go uh, to a man who is known not just for being uh, a wealth of knowledge, but a wealth of talent, Mr Simon Calder. Uh, travel guru to the stars, travel editor at The Independent. Simon, very good morning to you. Uh, good morning, and I'm back here in the Dungeon of Doom, I'm afraid. Uh, very nice to uh, see you. Um, of course, still no sign that we can go anywhere until the 20, uh, 17th of May, which is in 25 days' time. But quite a lot happening already in terms of what the government is saying in, uh, about uh, whether we are allowed to go, when they're going to say it, and, of course, we've got other stuff on top of that um, with the 
uh, India joining the so-called red list in, um, well, just a matter of hours now, 4 a.m. on Friday. Yes. And it's, it's just emerged this morning that Heathrow has said, um, yeah, we would have loved to have uh, allowed extra flights on airlines like Air India, British Airways and so on. But um, we couldn't do that because we're worried about the queues for passports. What's going on, Mike? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, does anybody at Heathrow know how to run an airport would be my question, because it seems as though they need uh, some expertise there. Uh, why can't they just divert some of the flights to, to Gatwick? You know, we've got oh, many, we've got hundreds of airports in this country. Not quite, but you know what I mean? Uh, well, well, actually, I think we've yeah we've probably got uh, a dozen airports that could quite ha- happily handle those those incoming planes. Um, and my understanding, and everyone's being a bit sort of you know uh, uh, quiet about all this, but mm. my understanding is that the airlines could not. Uh, that they could add extra flights to the routes they've already got. So that's typically British Airways from Mumbai, from Delhi, from Hyderabad, from Bengaluru, coming into Heathrow, Air India from Delhi and Mumbai and so on. But they couldn't actually say, and now we're going to go from Kolkata to uh, Birmingham. They just couldn't do it. They weren't allowed. And so therefore, um, with only 86 hours warning, Mike, um, that was all people were given to get home. Um, well, there's uh, many, many tens of thousands of people who would probably like to come to the UK without having to go on to uh, hotel quarantine. But I'm afraid it's now too late. Yes. And of course, that then begs the next question, Simon, which is that if there are thousands of people who are stranded uh, and who need to come in over the course of the next week, will they really be in hotel quarantine? Will they be properly policed? Will they be for sure doing what they're meant to do? Uh, There's every chance of that, because what the government is now doing um, is is something which I pointed out uh, when they started the whole red list thing earlier this year. Um, I I said, well, it's nonsense. So so let's take uh, the case of Dubai. Mm. All right. Biggest aviation hub in the world. um, Normally six flights a day to Heathrow. Now, uh, Dubai is still sending planes to Heathrow. They just haven't got any passengers on because the government says, oh, we can carry on flying, um, but you just can't carry any passengers mm. coming in. You can take them out again, which is why Emirates is still flying. Yeah. Now, um, so the planes are still coming here. They're empty. I said to the government, this is mad. Why are you making people go via typically somewhere like Istanbul? Yeah. They are greatly increasing the risk for themselves. And it would be much better if you just said to Emirates, OK, well, we'll just sell some tickets on those. Then when the plane comes into Heathrow, you say, ah, oh, you've just come from Dubai. Therefore, everybody on that plane who's a passenger is going to have to go into hotel quarantine. And it's easy. Otherwise, it is, I'm afraid, possible for people to circumvent that. Right. Although and this kind of builds into the whole Heathrow queuing thing. The reason that Heathrow has such long queues is because the uh, UK border force are looking at your passport and they're saying, Mike, it says here that you were in Delhi on mm. the uh, 23rd of April. Um, yeah, how do you account for that? And right. you say, oh, silly me. And um, then they fine you, I think, £5,000. Right. But this is why responsible people like you and I, Simon, don't travel at the moment. And I don't know why the hell so many people are travelling when it's complicated and it's difficult. And I don't buy all this nonsense that, you know, oh, well, you know, I've had to go and visit my family in India uh, because half of my family lives in India. Well, I'm sorry. You're just going to have to do what the rest of us have done and not see them for a bit. You know, I haven't seen my mother for the best part of two years. By the time I see her, hopefully in the summer in America, I won't have seen her for two years. You know, and oh, I'm afraid I don't like that, but that's the situation. And I mean, if, if you can't handle that, 
then, you know, you really haven't got any business clogging up airports and, and, and bring it. Also, by the way, all these people coming back from India uh, with the so-called Indian variant, you know, it maybe it'd be a good idea if they didn't come back. Well, and that's why the government says we put them on the red list. So everybody coming back will now be on um, uh, in hotel quarantine. Yeah. And it looks as though what the government's doing is they're continuing to allow flights to come in and for those airlines to sell tickets so they can go and meet the Mumbai flight and say, right, everybody off that plane into these hotels, um, which, which will be quite straightforward. In terms of people traveling, there, there's a whole category of people, Mike, who have the benefit of, of, of effectively being citizens of two countries. Um, and this is the case, for instance, with lots of Europeans. And therefore, it is perfectly legitimate for them to say, I live in the UK, so I want to come into the UK because that's where I live. Mm. And then when they're here, they can say, ah, I'm a um, citizen of Poland or wherever, therefore I'm going there. And, and, and so people with two nationalities can quite legitimately do that. And if you're a, a citizen of India or a citizen of the UK, then it's perfectly open to you. They're not breaking any rules here. Um, I desperately agree that there are millions of people in your position with loved ones in yeah. other countries who you haven't seen for years, desperate to see them. But I'm afraid unless you have a, if you had a UK, a US passport as well, well, you just you nip over and say, hi, I'm, I'm Mike and I'm American. And then you come back here and say, hi, I'm yeah. Mike, I'm British. Well, that's, so, what my, that's what my kids do. Yes. Well, yeah, they luckily uh, they, they've got both, so they, they're in they're in clover. But nevertheless, there's a certain responsibility I think uh, behooving all of us. Is it is there not? Where you just where you just go? Well, maybe it's not a great idea at the moment. Oh sure, and that's exactly what the Home Office says. Every time I talk to them about the queues at Heathrow and say, well, you know, Heathrow and today the Transport Select Committee are saying you've really got to get some extra staff and speed things up and automate and everything. They say. Nobody should be travelling at the moment. There's a global pandemic on, and I bet lots of your lovely listeners, Mike, would agree with exactly that. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Now, let's talk about uh, the Costa Bravo, as it says yes. on the front page of The Sun, because apparently, yeah. I saw this report last night on television news, that uh, there's a lot of European countries, Mediterranean especially, like Greece and maybe even Spain, who actually want us to come. Yes, uh, well, of course they do. And and so, so what's happened is that um, I, I saw The Sun as well, great headline and so on. Um, but nothing particularly has changed overnight. It's not as if they've suddenly all woken up in Madrid and Athens and Lisbon and thought, oh, I tell you what, we haven't got any tourists here. Um, the Brits, they look a good bet. Mm. They've been working on this for months and months. And uh, yes, so they the, the, the whole idea in Brussels, which you may remember, um, is that... Uh, Europe does exactly what it was supposed to do last year, which is everything opens up at the same time and they've got uh, choreographed rules and so on. And everybody's on the singing from the same hymn sheet. Well, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the Italians, the Greeks, the Cypriots, the Maltese, everybody else, they, they're not really interested in, in um, uh, European unity on this one. Right. They are desperate to get us there because we're seen as, as low risk options um, they know that lots of people have been vaccinated so that reduces the, the chances we'll be bringing any um, any virus into mm. their country and they also know that their tourism industries have been completely devastated by the uh, total lack of, of holidays so yes. they're all doing everything they can to to lure us there but of course important to say uh, until the 17th of may nobody goes anywhere after that the uk is going to come up with its list of 
green countries, which will include Gibraltar, Iceland and Israel. Mm. So not your usual choice and a whole load of countries on amber. And then you've got your red list, which will still have India um, and every every country to uh, Brazil on that red list. So so many things which are uncertain at the moment, but it's absolutely clear that the Mediterranean countries want us back as soon as possible. Um, And they will kind of, as it it were, be very, very lenient in what they're requesting in order to get us back. So do you think there will be a point at which, because one of my big bugbears, and I was talking to a guy uh, in the Mediterranean yesterday who was um, um, running holidays in Sardinia and Corsica and places like that. And he was frustrated by the fact that a lot of the islands are being kind of governed by central government. So for the French in Corsica, the Italians for Sardinia, uh, basically treating it as if it was part of the mainland and making sure that all of the same uh, restrictions were in place when it's probably not necessary. But um, will there be a time, do you think, Simon, in the summer where we could go somewhere without having to go through this rigmarole of 55,000 tests, you know, before you go, when you go, while you're on the plane, when you get there, when you come back, you know, all of that? Uh, yeah, there will be. And uh, on the subject of islands, by the way, uh, Matt, uh, the, the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, um, said a couple of days ago, Yes, we will be bringing back the islands policy, which mm. will mean that, for example, the Balearics, yes. um, which are very much kind of keep trying to keep separate from the rest of Spain, will probably be open. Yeah. Now, um, critically, at the moment, you're absolutely right. If if on the so 17th of um, May, I'm booked at the moment to go to lovely Gibraltar, because nice. I think that's the one place which might allow me in without a test. Mm. But I know for a fact that when I come back, I've got to have a lateral flow test which at the moment i've got a book at my expense in gibraltar and then when i come back i've got to have a pcr test uh which is going to cost me upwards of 60 quid Mm. for the privilege it's a complete faff it's expensive you know you multiply that for a for a family and it's beginning to cost more than the uh the the holiday so what's going to happen is we're going to come in with this very, very limited green list. I mean, they'll they'll bump it up by including places like Australia and New Zealand and 27 British overseas territories that you can't actually reach right. um, just to kind of get, get the numbers up. Um, and then after about six weeks, a couple of months, they will then say, actually, um, we can now put um, France, Spain, Italy, Portugal, Greece, Croatia, Cyprus, um, on, on the green list because they their rates have come down. And by the way, we also have worked out that these PCR tests aren't really necessary. You just um, have a lateral flow one as yeah. you sort of step off the plane. Well, I mean, nobody even knows if they're particularly accurate, but that's that's the problem. Well, Simon, as ever, uh, good uh, to talk to you. And uh, hopefully, I presume on May the 17th, we're expecting a full um, traffic light list of countries, red, amber and green, so that we all know what's going on. Well, yeah, we should actually know that sometime early in May, Mike. And um, if I am in Gibraltar, obviously it would be a pleasure and privilege to contribute to your excellent programme, as Listen, I have done. I gave, you, I, gave you an, I gave you an honourable mention on the Chris Evans show this morning when I was talking to, ah. uh, to Chris, because I said one of the things, that, one of the highlights of our uh, time as a, as a television channel uh, was one Simon Calder reporting into us from the top of the rock, uh, where he was able ah. to point out where Africa was, which was exactly. quite extraordinary. Okay. Well, I'll see if I can do the same again for you. Uh, 
Thanks Great a million. Stuff. Great, Great stuff, Simon. Thank you very much indeed. Simon Cole is still unfortunately locked in his basement, unable to go anywhere. But soon, uh, hopefully, he will be going somewhere, as will we all. Uh, it certainly looks as though there's a, an appetite in the Mediterranean uh, parts of the world for us to go there uh, as British citizens and actually spend our money, because that's what they need. Most of these places are absolutely and utterly reliant upon the tourism dollar to make sure that they can actually exist in financial um, assurity. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Plenty of you have been tweeting me as well, telling me what you've been doing uh, as far as Earth Day is concerned. And uh, uh, we'll be reading out some of those tweets. You can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio, at IROMG, of course, as well. Claire Fox was on this morning talking about the nonsense of, uh, uh, of some of these protesters that are out there in Canary Wharf this morning, talking about how they're just like the suffragettes. Well, I'm sorry. You're not anything like the suffragettes, I'm afraid. Let's go to the phones, though, first before we do anything. 0344-499-1000. Danny, is it Epsom? Hi, Dan. How are you doing, Chief? You all right? Very well indeed, sir. How's it going? Yeah, it's going all right. But I, I, I do wonder what's going on in the world because I wake, I, I wake up and I turn on the news and our inner cities are very violent places these days. Law and order's gone. Yeah. We've got thousands of people trying to get into our country illegally every month. Yeah. Um, the economy is absolutely stuffed. Viable businesses have gone. People's uh, financial lives are over. And when I turn on talk radio this morning, the business minister is giving a speech and he's urging me not to eat meat <laughs> and to become vegan. What's it got to do with him? Well, it's almost like someone, someone's concerned with the washing up when their house is on fire. Yeah, I know. You know. I know. Also, when did we get to this point where, you know, I was, I've been watching this week the coverage on, um, you know, television news channels, right? And it's not about any kind of questioning of any of this stuff. It's all about, you know, reporters saying things like, well, of course, we must eat less meat. And I'm going, sorry, um, I'm sorry, I didn't agree to eating less meat. If I chose to eat less meat, that would be my decision. It wouldn't be yours. Yeah, I didn't even agree or vote for any of these. All I seem to hear from Boris's government is COVID-19 and green issues. Now, 
on on the ground, me and my pals, I mean, we haven't been out for over a year, but I never went into a pub and my mate went, Dan, you know what's really getting me at the moment? We need more wind turbines. No one ever said it to me ever, right? <laughs> Listen, and I know. And we, and we, we're living in a world where I think Boris should employ someone like me and say, Daddy, ugh, can, can, you, can you tell me what your average man's thinking? Are they, oh, what's, what's, a, what's a family man thinking? What, you know, because they have, they're so out of touch, Mike. I know. Well, do you know, that's why they used to have Andy Coulson in Downing Street, because he knew a thing or two about what the average man and woman on the street actually thought. Uh, but he didn't end up uh, too well at the end of that. But listen, Dan, I've got to run, because uh, we've got to talk to Andrew Rossendale. You're quite right. I'm going to put it to Andrew Rossendale right now, Conservative MP for Romford. He's one of our favourite MPs, actually, Andrew, because he does talk an awful lot of sense. Andrew, very good afternoon to you. Afternoon, Mike. Thank you very much for joining us. I don't know whether you were able to hear what Dan uh, there in Epsom was saying, but uh, I mean, like a lot of people that, that, that call this radio station and talk to me on a daily basis, um, they're quite puzzled by this kind of obsession that Boris Johnson seems to have with this green economy. Uh, and a minister on the uh, Julie Hartley Bridge show this morning telling us that all we all have to eat a lot less meat. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not sure this is the government's business, is it? I think that uh, it's freedom of choice, isn't it, really? Uh, we should all be able to make our own decisions about these things. I understand why the government want to drive forward uh, a more environ environmentally friendly agenda. I think we're all in favour of that. Uh, we all want to protect our env environment and conserve the planet, but yeah, up to we a do point, live in a free society. Up to people a point, must make their own choices. Yeah, up to a point, but not, up to, not, not to the point where I can't buy the kind of car that I would like to buy uh, and I can't travel as far as I would like to travel by, by air because apparently that would be too cruel or that I'm supposed to eat a particular thing rather than another thing. As I say, I think it's freedom of choice. I don't think it's the role of government to take away people's rights to make their own decisions. Uh, we need information about these things so we can make the best choices for ourselves, our families and for the country. But I don't think it's for government to be dictating to people like that. No, I agree with you. No, absolutely right. Let's move on to the subject at hand, which is what we wanted to talk to you. We found out yesterday, and my apologies to the Sunday Express, I didn't see the story, uh, but we found out yesterday the Ronald Reagan statue, which used to stand in Grosvenor Square, home of the former American embassy, uh, has somehow been moved or has disappeared. Um, what can you tell us, Andrew? Well, I was there for the uh, unveiling of that statue around 10 years ago, right. and Ronald Reagan, you'll remember, Mike, but many people may not, but he was a a very special president. He was the great friend to the United Kingdom. He helped along with Margaret Thatcher to end the Cold War, which threatened the freedom of all of our nations around the world. And he also stood by us during the Falklands conflict yeah. and helped us to liberate the people of the Falkland Islands. You know, he was a great champion of freedom and of free enterprise. And he was our best friend yeah. in the 1980s with Margaret Thatcher. And we had this wonderful statue unveiled in his honour in Grosvenor Square near the American Embassy. American Embassy has now moved. The statue has been taken down and it's apparently in storage somewhere. It's not being displayed anywhere. Right. Now, I think that that is completely wrong. He he should be honoured and he should be restored in a prominent London location. And I have suggested Parliament Square, yeah. but the... The bad news is that's down to Mr. Khan. Yes. Apparently, according to Boris, Mr. Khan decides these things. So we haven't got a lot of hope, I don't think. Well, I mean, that's uh, the problem, Sadiq isn't Khan it? in charge. That's, that is the problem. But what is it about um, um, that statue? I mean, would, would that have been the mayor's office that, that took the decision to remove it from, uh, from Grover Square? Because I'm not only old enough to remember Ronald Reagan, I actually was inside the Ronald Reagan White House because I covered uh, Charles and Diana's trip to the White House in 1985. 
uh, and I was actually happy and lucky enough to be at a press conference with uh, with the great uh, the great president of the US of A. So I've got a great deal of time for him. And also, if it wasn't for him and Margaret Thatcher, you know, we'd still have the Soviet Union to contend with. They basically dismantled it uh, single handedly. Yes, I agree with you. And we have a lot to thank him and Margaret Thatcher for. And to take his statue down and discard it is completely wrong. Now, who decided to take it down? I can't confirm that. Uh, I do understand that Grosvenor Square and that area is now more of a construction site. Yes, I can, so I can, I can vouch for that. It, last time I was there, which was, I think, sort of last summer, it was very much a construction site because they're dismantling that, that amazing old building that was the US Embassy. Exactly. So maybe, maybe it's been taken down for safekeeping. But my point is that now the American embassy is gone, I don't think putting it back in Grosvenor Square is the right decision. Mm. I think that we need to put it somewhere more appropriate, more prominent. And what better place than Parliament Square? We have, after all, we have Abraham Lincoln in Parliament Square. We have Nelson Mandela in Parliament Square. We have Gandhi in Parliament Square. Why not President Ronald Reagan, our greatest presidential mm. friend that we've had for as long as I can remember? And I think he deserves that honour. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, as far as the whole statue conversation goes, I mean, we work here at London Bridge, not a million miles away from Guy's Hospital. The statue of Thomas Guy, believe it or not, uh, who founded Guy's Hospital and St Thomas's, has been, has been boarded up. Right. And it's still boarded up even now. Uh, and it sits in a little quadrangle uh, just off the uh, just off the Borough High Street. And I just wonder what's going on, because, you know, it's one thing to say, all right, we're going to examine, you know, the history of all of these figures and we're going to see whether or not, you know, they're so offensive that we can't let people see them. But how long is it going to take? Well, I don't agree with uh, taking down statues, as you can well imagine. I'm very much against that idea. I think that statues are part of our history. Mm. Uh, they teach us about our past and we learn from what pe previous people have done for this country. Uh, some of it good, some of it not so good, but it is British history and we shouldn't be ripping down statues and denying the fact that we do have a history. Yes. And I think that having statues around London, other cities, uh, demonstrates that history and we should cherish it rather than dismantle it. Also, I don't think there's any doubt that Thomas Guy, a man who founded two hospitals uh, on the south bank of, the, of this great river of ours in London because he wanted to help the poor. I don't think there's any debate about whether he was a good guy or not. You know, yes, he might have made some money from the South Sea uh, Bubble Company or whatever it was called, because that's what people did in those days. But he was a philanthropist, you know, and he did more for, for the poor people of London than almost anybody in his time. So I find it extraordinary that they're just leaving him to be unobserved. I agree with you. And the problem is, Mike, that you will probably be able to look at every single statue and every single painting and every, every single book mm. and find something about someone in all of those things which offends someone somewhere. Yeah. And in the end, you're going to basically... Uh, obliterate everything we've got and i think this woke agenda this cancel culture needs to be stopped dead in its tracks mm. it really does but how are we going to do it andrew because i mean we do our fair share here at talk radio we try and ridicule it as much as we possibly can but it is a very very uh, far-reaching problem that we now have in our society it started off in kind of universities and everybody ignored it but now it sort of reaches out and its tentacles are everywhere I mean, we were talking this morning um about richard dawkins who's had a, a 25 year old award where he was named humanist of the year taken away from him because he made some comment on twitter that somebody didn't like look it's getting out of out of hand out of control it represents a tiny minority of people the problem i think is that 
this sort of agenda has embedded itself in the establishment of lots of our big organizations, particularly public sector organizations mm. and corporate bodies who think it's who think it's smart to go along with all this. Well, I think it's not I don't think it's smart. I think it's catastrophic. And I think that most decent people in this country hate what's happening mm. and we need to fight back. We need to we need to cancel the cancel culture. Yes, and I think you'll get a lot of support for that. I mean, the Conservative Party is already way ahead in the polls, not least due to the appalling behaviour and uh, inabilities of uh, Captain Hindsight, as we like to call him. Um, I mean, he still keeps banging on about uh, sleaze, hoping that uh, somehow people that don't read The Guardian will think it's actually a good story. But it isn't really, is it? No, and I, and I think that in the... Uh, particularly the red wall seats where you've got lifelong Labour voters who are decent, hardworking, patriotic voters who have traditionally voted Labour. They've switched to Conservative now. We're going to see whatever happens. We're going to see a massive swing against Labour in elections mm. uh, very soon, I believe. I think that Labour is sort of hates its own electorate and they're, they're losing support from the very people that built the Labour Party and the Conservative Party needs to be a party that represents those people and upholds British values, upholds British traditions and is proud of our history and upholds that with great pride rather than trying to demolish everything that our forebears have created. No, I think you're absolutely right. Andrew, listen, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. We'll see what we can do to get uh, Ronald Reagan put up in Parliament Square. I'm certainly with you on that one. Uh, we shall start the campaign today. Andrew Rossendale MP there from Romford, uh, who wants to see uh, Ronald Reagan, who was in Grosvenor Square, re-erected back in uh, some other prominent part of the, of the city. What about Parliament Square? What would be wrong with that? I certainly hope that he hasn't been somehow um, put on a, a shelf somewhere in some storage warehouse because of his supposedly right-wing views. He wasn't even that right-wing. He was a Conservative president. He was a Republican president. And he was a great friend, as Andrew says, to this country. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is, of course, the home of common sense. We are uh, the only place where you will hear uh, the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And as part of that project, let us now go uh, to Ms. Truth herself, LaDonna Harvey, over in San Diego, California, the host, co-host, I should say, uh, in fairness to her co-host of KOGO's Breakfast yes. Show. LaDonna, very good morning to you. <laughs> Good morning to you and my, my co-host, Ted Garcia. Thank you. Yes, well, you know how touchy these radio people get if you don't mention them, you know, and they say, what do you mean you, you she hosts their own show? It's a shocking state of affairs. <laughs> now, listen, I'm really looking forward to what you're planning to do about Earth Day. I'm hoping you're going to tell me you're going to get in the Corvette and, and steam up uh, uh, the San Diego freeway at high speed. Um, well, there's every chance that that will happen because that happens virtually every day. So, yes, that's, that is, in fact, how I'm celebrating Earth Day while I'm drinking high alkaline water because I don't know, because well, I can. Well, <laughs> listen, if I even knew what that was, I'd probably join you. But I've no I've just got regular water here, which comes out of a tap. Ah, uh, yes, I don't do that. But I live in Southern California, man. Yeah, exactly right. If it doesn't right. come out of a plastic bottle, then it's just not right. No, but Joe Biden, I understand, uh, is probably going to be drinking some water as well today because he's going to be celebrating Earth Day by having a, uh, a, a virtual summit about the climate. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, the Democrats are back in power, and that means that climate change is top of the is is top of mind. Uh, you know, greenhouse gases and gas powered cars and 
I don't know, electricity and things that aren't a mud hut. Yes. Are all bad. Well, the thing is about the great thing you have to know about the Democrats is that one, they'll put climate change right on top of the agenda. They'll also start a war somewhere. Well, there's a, there's every chance that that could happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, 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 it's anything goes at this point. Yeah, I mean, he was rattling the saber about Putin the other week, wasn't he? And talking about uh, you know how he was going to find out soon what America was going to do about the fact that he was a killer. Um, so far, we haven't seen anything terrible happen, but there is a bit of a NATO. Uh, Russia standoff going on currently on the Ukraine border. Yes, there is. And, uh, you know, Putin Putin is is old USSR. I mean, you know, for those of us <clears throat> who are old <clears throat> enough to remember yes. the USSR. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know funnily, funnily enough, I was just over... I was just talking about it because we've got a statue of uh, Ronald Reagan, which was uh, which was formerly in Grosvenor Square, where the old American embassy was. Since they've taken the embassy down, they've also taken the statue down. It's in a warehouse currently, and we're trying to get it put up somewhere else. But unfortunately, I'm actually old enough to remember not only Ronald Reagan being president, I was actually in the Ronald Reagan White House um, when Charles and Diana visited. So, um, so tragically, I'm that old. Tragically, indeed. Mm, yeah. um, but, you know, if memory, if memory serves, uh, we all remember, those of us of a certain age, uh, the food lines in Russia, the people yeah. starving to death. Right. People sent to gulags uh, in the USSR. And Putin would like a return to that. He wants Russia to be a power again, and he wants to do it by grabbing Crimea and Ukraine yeah. and every other so- former Soviet bloc country that they once that they want to add. Right, because they, he's now feeling a little bit churlish about having given them up on the grounds that now the European Union is trying to grab them all off him. Right, I know, and how you know how dare an independent country decide that it wants to join a European Union or not join one, as it happens, mm. uh, yeah, and make that decision for itself. Right. Um, he sees it as, a, as an existential threat to, yes. to Russia and their dominance. Right, and I saw, did I not, this morning, um, a, a news line coming out of the White House in which Biden said they were going to reduce massively America's greenhouse gas emissions. I'm not quite sure how he's planning to do that because, I mean, with reference to the San Diego freeway, you know, I've seen that road and there's 16 lanes of traffic on it pretty much solidly all day, every day. Yeah, well, if you if, if Biden gets it his way, there won't be. It'll be either all bicycles or electric cars that have no drivers in them, and I'm not doing that. Well, I mean, I'm not getting in a car with no driver, considering that the last one that they took out anywhere seems to crash. Yes. Uh, yeah, so for some reason, the, the driverless cars seem to have a problem. Yeah. And I, I can't imagine why. No. Also, the whole point, I mean, you and I, I think, share the passion that we have for driving. It's rather nice uh, to yeah. drive fast in a car. And it's rather uh, thrilling in some, some cases, some would say. Um, I, I'm not interested in being in a car if I'm not driving it. No, I, I don't even like being a passenger. No, I hate and, that. And I don't even like having a passenger, which is why I have a two-seater car <laughs> and my purse goes in the other side. Yes, exactly I mean, right. That's how bad I am. Yeah, no, I, I, and I, I don't find that in any way strange. I think that's perfectly, perfectly acceptable, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't understand this idea that people want to be driven by something which is a robot and effectively there's nobody there. I don't get it. You know, I I think it really comes down to, and I hate to say this, but it comes down to control. Mm. If you can control where people can go, when they can go, you can control them. Yes. Um, You know, it's it's one of the things that is key 
to keeping a population under control is is being able to decide where they can go yeah. and when they can go. And I mean, the great thing about America is that it's still, relatively speaking, the land of the free. You know, this country's never been as free as America. But some of the stuff they're trying to push on us now as a result of the COVID pandemic and the fact that we're now lifting regulations, but still we're going to have these regulations. You know, you can only meet with six people, not seven, because obviously if seven people meet, somebody's going to die. And you're going, what? Right. I really don't think that's going to happen, actually. Uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, you know, everything is political now. It, yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a health crisis or uh, uh, a sprained ankle. It's a political crisis, yes. and it's going to have to be dealt with politically. Yeah. And that's not, a good, that's not a good place to be. No, it really isn't. And I guess we should mention Minneapolis because uh, the, the, the verdict came in just the other night. And um, I suppose from the point of view of the, uh, the civil... Um, calm and civil disobedience and the riots and all of that um, it was uh, it was it was one decision that didn't upset anybody so they didn't feel like they had to set fire to anything right and and you know quite frankly I think it was the right decision yeah. um, to, to be perfectly honest uh-huh. it, you know you have a guy who knelt on another guy on his neck for nine minutes yeah. and he died and I you know I, I think that all of us would agree that policing is about taking a bad guy off the street, hopefully without killing him. Um, and, you know, what you see with, with George Floyd is a guy who is down on the ground and is not really a threat to anyone. Right. And at that point, when you're a police officer and you have control of a suspect, then you are now in charge of that suspect's life and, and, and liberty, essentially. Yes. And it's, it's just your job to get him in the car <laughs> and take him to jail. That's, right. that's what your job is. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, as, as a result of all of it, and as a result of all of it, is it likely that there will be some form of change to, I mean, there's talk of them saying that, you know, they're going to change the, the, the rules of engagement for some of these cops that they won't be able to put people in chokeholds. They won't be able to kneel on people's necks anymore. Is that actually going to happen? Do you think? I think it will, um, and I and I think it needs to. It, you know, policing is. You know, we're allowing uh, a very select few people to carry guns, and essentially, you know, they have the power to arrest us and to take us to jail and to take away our freedom. And that power needs to be used very judiciously. Mm. And for the longest time in America, police kind of got a pass on, on what happened, uh, you know, during that arrest. And that, that time, I think, has ended, and yeah. that's a good thing. Um, it doesn't mean you can't arrest somebody. It just means you can't kneel on them for nine minutes. Right. I, I don't think that's going to ruin policing. No, I think that's probably a very sensible way to look at it. LaDonna, thank you, as ever, uh, for talking to us. LaDonna Harvey from KOGO in San Diego, uh, Southern California. Um, and lots more to come, of course. How about this from Pete, uh, who says, Mike, about 10 years ago, I was cycling home from work from the city to the Isle of Dogs, most of which was along the Thames path. On West Ferry Road, I went through a small puddle that was an eight-inch deep pothole, dislocated my wrist, wrecked my bike and my clothes, and had to take a week off. It was all thrown out of court because they fixed the hole the next day. That's outrageous, isn't it? Absolutely outrageous. How can you not be able to seek compensation for something like that happening to you uh, just because the council decided to fix the hole that caused you all the trouble? Absolute madness. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.